Welcome everyone to the webinar, Love Fly webinar. My name is Paul Tizard. I'm one of the Fear of Flying coaches or Love Fly coach. Uh, so the plan for today are the following topics. So we'll be asking Steve to talk us through how you prepare for a flight in terms of the weather. What's actually in place during a flight? We'll talk about turbulence and is it dangerous? Because a lot of people obviously think it is will help you to understand why it isn't dangerous and then we've got more of an open section which is that anything to do with weather which will be things like clouds lightning rain snow winds you name it we can we can cover it i'm going to introduce you to captain steve ball i'll tell you a little bit about steve's background because he's a very modest kind of guy uh, so Steve currently works as head of training for the Dreamliner 787 in Virgin Atlantic Airways and that's a position he's held since 2014. So he's been flying commercially for 30 years and has accumulated over 20,000 flying hours in that time. I've no idea what that means but it sounds like a lot. He started with Monarch Airlines as a sponsored cadet flying the 737-300 for seven years and then after the Berlin Wall came down Steve flew in Germany for Lufthansa for two years, followed by a further five years based at London Gatwick Airport that was flying both short haul and Mediterranean routes. Steve joined Virgin Atlantic in 1997. He started flying the 747-400 jumbo jet. He did that for 16 years and then moved on to what we call the Dreamliner, the 787, which is approximately the last seven years. This is considered to be one of the most modern and comfortable aircraft out there. And just ask Steve, he will wax lyrical about it. So in 2001, Steve became a Virgin captain. And then in 2006, he began training and examining other pilots in the role as a training captain. So this is a very experienced guy who's going to talk you through some of the things that will help you with weather and turbulence. I shall hand over to Steve and... Anything you'd like to add about your intro? Anything that I've missed out? Have I done you a disservice in some way? What, do, Goodness, by, by the way, what does it actually, 20,000 hours, what does that actually mean to the, the normal person? How long does that mean you've, been, you've sat in an aircraft? Uh, it actually means airborne for approximately three and a half years, all in one, one go. So it's been a long flight, really. Okay, so you've, <laughs> so you've seen a bit then. Yeah. <laughs> you know your stuff. Okay. So if you could start with the first topic, which is about the prep that you do weather-wise before you even leave the ground, that'd be great. Sure. All right. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. This next topic is all to do with weather and turbulence. So, yeah, so moving on, as, as Paul said, the, um, the first thing we do, so we turn up before flight, not dissimilar to when you might arrive at the airport. I guess most passengers these days arrive at the airport at about three hours to go for check-in. Aircrew, we arrive two hours before uh, the aeroplane departs in a briefing room. In our briefing room, we have uh, lots of tools available to us for all sorts of things for our flight from A to B. Not only do we get to know the weight of the aircraft and the weight of the passengers, the baggage, etc., uh, to work out how much fuel we need to take uh, from A to B, but the way we also consider how much fuel we take is, is all to do with the weather en route. Now, we consider the weather at our takeoff aerodrome, where we're departing from, and then we consider the weather all on the route from A to B, and then very importantly, we look at the weather on arrival, 
which is destination B, if you like. But it doesn't stop there. So we don't take uh, just the right amount of fuel uh, to land with zero. And as we taxi off the runway, we flame out all the engines. That's not how it works. Uh, we carry enough fuel to get from A to B. And when we arrive at B, if the weather wasn't quite what we were expecting, we have enough fuel to, to hang around there for a bit, take up a holding pattern, as you're probably used to. And then we have enough fuel to make one uh, or two approaches. And if that still wasn't within our limits for, for landing, then we also carry enough fuel for a diversion to airfield C. But we also have fuel for other airports, other airfield diversions as well. And once we divert to an, an airfield again, it's not just enough to reach that place. We have enough fuel to get from there and then take up a holding pattern as well and then make an approach and land. So that's really in, in cases all the um, airfields that we look for for the weather. En route as well, we're looking for areas of weather that we can potentially avoid. Uh, we avoid headwinds if we can. And I'll talk a little bit more about uh, the headwinds and tailwinds uh, later. But weather-wise, so we, we consider weather all the way down to, well, zero visibility. So we have to work out exactly, you know, how long will uh, delays be expected. So if there were thunderstorms, etc., cetera, or, or really bad weather, then often you're carrying anything from half an hour extra fuel. And if it's low visibility procedures, which is what we call when there's fog around, we can carry anything from 45 minutes to an hour's extra fuel. So, and, and that's not limited. We, we can take as, as much fuel as we are, because obviously these jets are so so reliable and economic these days that we um in the olden days when they didn't have the sophisticated equipment we have on board airplanes now and um, diversions you know weren't uncommon but nowadays you know we can land down to 75 meters of visibility which i don't know if that means anything to anyone but it is like pea soup so the 787 that i fly with most of all the other modern airliners are capable of landing in such uh, bad visibility so that really um, encompasses all of that. Paul, would you like me to expand anything more on carrying fuel for the weather and before departure? Thank you. I think that was uh, pretty good. There. there was a couple of phrases there. I didn't really know what they meant. Okay, so don't worry about that. That's a little bit of pilot talk. And that's, you know, that's the world that we live in is that you are able to use sort of shortcut language. So sometimes the public might hear it think, what on earth does that mean? So that sounds great in terms of the pre stuff. But what about on board? What Tell us a little bit about all the radar and all that sort of great systems that you've got. On board the aeroplane, we have a, a fantastic piece of equipment, uh, a weather radar. Um, in fact, we have two systems. One, obviously, if one ever fails, we, everything is uh, backed up on a modern airline. The redundancy is fantastic. But our weather radar obviously scans the sky, uh, not only for uh, clouds, but also for turbulence. So it's an amazing thing that we... Um, uh, that we can assess whilst flying along. And basically it's done by pictures, if anyone's ever seen uh, radars in operation, and they obviously depict the severity of, of what uh, storms look like for us. So basically, if we see them on our uh, weather radar, we can obviously navigate around them. Now, sometimes, of course, we're too close to the vicinity of uh, an airport where you can imagine it's like a game of snakes and ladders getting aeroplanes in and out of of a busy airport so sometimes we can't avoid them but is that dangerous absolutely not it just gets uncomfortable with turbulence which we'll come on to 
later on. But of course, if we can navigate around uh, the storms, we, we often do. And certain parts of the world, that's exactly what we spend a lot of the time doing, particularly down over the equator, going down towards uh, South Africa. And of course, in the Far East as well, which uh, encounters flying over the equator as well, where you get an awful lot of, of storms. One of the questions we always get asked on courses is, uh, you know, why is it always bumpy when we go flying? Well, if you think about when we all go on, on holiday, it's mainly in the summertime. And weirdly enough, some of the bumpiest weather we can ever have is, is during the summertime, simply because, you know, that's when all these big white fluffy clouds that you see, they build up because of hot air rising. Yeah, so that can be quite a bumpy time of year. But again, not dangerous, just get some comfortable, which, as I said, would cover during turbulence. What else do we have? So the weather radar tells us what's ahead of us, of course. And we also, um, we speak to each other as pilots and pilots that are traveling in front of another aeroplane. Uh, we have this chat frequency. It's always live. We have three radios on board and we're obviously listening to air traffic control, but we can also listen to one, uh, secondly, an emergency frequency and thirdly, a, a chat frequency. And, and we do. We, we speak all the time because we're obviously wanting to know the pilot speakers, what's the ride like ahead. And this might just give us the heads up uh, what's going to happen. We're, we're not ever going to turn around and do a 180. We carry on, but of course, what that gives us a chance to do is to prepare the cabin, uh, put the seatbelt signs on, get everyone sat down for safety. And of course, we can then ask other airplanes, you know, what levels they're at. So we might go and try and climb out of the, out of the turbulence, or we might want to descend. Just basically, we're looking for smoother air. But this rough air, like I say, is not dangerous whatsoever, just uncomfortable. I had a question that was asked just before, which was what happens when you're going along and it feels like it drops? And uh, I was oh. trying to explain to somebody about, you know, waves of air. And I, thought, I thought, said, actually, you're better off listening to Steve describe all this. So maybe you could give some reassurance around turbulence. So turbulence in aviation speak, pilot speak, there's three types of turbulence or three grades of turbulence. If you like. So there's light, moderate and severe. And often, you know, you, you're talking to someone who's encountered something that they would describe as severe or horrific or anything like that. And actually, it's, it's not. Um, if I can tell you in my 30 something years of, of flying, I've probably encountered severe turbulence about five or six times. So that tells you over a 30-year period, how, how uncommon severe turbulence is. But of course, to someone who's naturally uh, has a fear of flying, then of course, even light turbulence will, will to them be severe. So yeah, what, turbulence is caused by, by lots of different things. So if you imagine that the easiest way to describe it is wind, temperature of air, air masses moving around uh, the planet. And, uh, but if you imagine two rivers, flowing towards each other you know where they meet so that's exactly where you get these you know this this turbulence and if there's a temperature change that just makes the temperature the, the turbulence uh, even worse sometimes anyway that's the meteorological sort of very basic side of it but the turbulence itself it's not dangerous at all so airplanes are designed to fly in the sky so the easiest way the analogy really is when you're driving a car over cobbled stones well, in fact, in the UK, most of the time driving on our normal roads now, it's like driving on cobbled stones. But that's basically it. If you imagine your car driving over cobbled stones, it's, un, you know, it's uncomfortable in the car, isn't it? It's something that annoys you. But is it dangerous? Do the wheels fall off? Does the car fall off? Absolutely not. 
and aeroplanes are built to withstand far far worse than uh, than turbulence and if you um, have a spare five minutes it's really worth looking on youtube you'll see the building of aeroplanes and you can just uh, google these on youtube and they're brilliant and you see what they do to aeroplanes when when they build them and they deliberately break them basically and you'll see one where they do this wing bending test and basically it takes the wings to get to this before they snap and it's amazing so during turbulence and bad weather when you look out the window of the airplane of course you'll see the wings you know they're, they're obviously bending bending is good because they have to they have to flex but they never get to this obviously so so that's a reassurance for you so turbulence is uh, uncomfortable it's not dangerous light turbulence if we were to experience light turbulence now i can honestly say that sometimes we won't even feel it in the cockpit the pilots will not feel this now there is a, a scientific reason behind why as a passenger you feel a lot more than the pilots at the front so it's all to do with the medical reasons so you have your um, your three parts of your ear your outer middle and inner ear and in the inner ear there's these minute hairs and it's all to do with our balance if we take away one of the senses, i.e. so if you're sitting in a cabin of an aeroplane, we've taken away your sight, basically, because you cannot see forward. I know you can see outside the windows, but that's not how, obviously, our, our brain functions. So it is equivalent to taking away your sight. So what happens is your inner ear goes into the most incredibly oversensitive drive. So any movement in the cabin is amplified tenfold so you really think that you're feeling these as paul says these these drops and we often hear about people falling out of the sky and air pockets which i'll come on to so and that's the reason why so as a pilot because we can see outside our ears aren't at that moment in time as sensitive so we often don't feel like turbulence we might actually get a call from the cabin sometimes from the from the flight attendants and saying um you know would you mind putting on the seatbelt signs because it's getting a little bumpy down and we go wow now when i'm a passenger Absolutely, I feel exactly what you're experiencing in the cabin, but I obviously know why it's happening. So light turbulence, as I say, is, is, is a non-event, and you're probably moving as the aeroplane doesn't, it doesn't drop, it just it descends like this, and it goes along, a bit like a dolphin in the sea, really, and that's all, and we're probably moving two or three feet in vertical terms. Now, moderate turbulence, uh, which is probably... You know, again, that's something that you would feel very uncomfortable with in the cabin. We would definitely seat everyone down and we would probably seat the cabin crew at this point as well, if we thought that was necessary. But we definitely wouldn't be serving hot drinks at that time. So moderate turbulence, again, is exactly the same. It's not dangerous, it's uncomfortable. This time you're probably moving as much as, I don't know, 10 feet. But again, you're not dropping, you're actually just doing this. You're porpoising 10 feet. And that's because the air over the wings that provides lift is just being disturbed imagine on the cobbled stones of your car imagine the air just being sort of chopped up over the wings temporarily so and that's really moderate turbulence are we doing anything different in the in the um, in the flight deck apart from putting our coffee down because that will spill no we're not we're just we're just monitoring it and that that's all we we don't feel uh, ourselves uncomfortable we're not worried about it because it happens nearly Every day as a pilot, it's, it's really a non-event. And severe turbulence, like I say, it's, it's extremely rare and that's very uncomfortable in the cabin. And without doubt, we would be uh, uh, seating passengers and crew. And uh, yeah, there's just something that, you know, you're just going to have to, to sit through 
until we find the smoother air the other side. And again, you know, we're, we're just monitoring the airplane all the time. Uh, the autopilot can withstand all of that because we use the autopilot at altitude and we're just monitoring that it's doing exactly what it is. In terms of feet-wise in severe turbulence, and again, this is why it's so rare, you could be moving in this pauper's position from anything from 50 to, to 100 feet. And in very rare cases, um, it can be, can be more than that. But like I say, it's extremely rare. And half a dozen times in 30 years will we'll tell you and how rare it is. There's a question that will come up at this point, which most people Brilliant. have, which when you because when you talk about changing in altitude, 50 to 100 feet, quite casually, if you don't mind me saying, it might actually worry people thinking, crikey, you know, we're literally going to be sort of flying through the air in a, in a, not in a good way. So how can you reassure to get help people get their head around what that's actually like in commercial aviation terms? You know, because it's not it's not like 50 feet ground feet, is it? It's a, it's a, it's a different idea when you're up there. Do you know what I'm yeah. trying to say? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So, I mean, for typical, we're, we're flying at altitudes of 35,000, 37,000 feet. So um, the separation between, uh, the minimum separation between aeroplanes now is 1,000 feet. So to give you some idea, you know, we're not, we're not infringing on anyone else's uh, airspace by, by any stretch of the imagination. That, that doesn't even, even come into it. You know, and we're, you know, and laterally we're, we're 10 miles apart from, from each other. So, no, in relative terms, yeah, I guess I, I know what you're saying now, Paul, you know, if you were to stand on a, a 50 feet high building, then, then that would look something. But in relative terms of, you know, the percentage of flying at 37,000 feet, then it's, it's, it's minimal. And the sensation of doing this, this porpoising. So inside, you know, if you remember you're a kid jumping off a, a diving board for the first time, then you remember all the butterflies you get in your stomach that's exactly uh, what happens it gives you the sensation as a passenger of dropping but you're not you're doing you're doing this and remember the pilots are not feeling this whatsoever because we obviously have forward eyesight one of the really good things again to show you how minimal that that height loss is in in terms of that so if you're looking out of a window which we recommend to anyone who has a fear of flying, if you imagine you're looking at the horizon uh, through the, the window, so you'll notice in turbulence. So for example then, so when you take off out of an airport, you know, we turn left, we turn right, whichever direction we have to go in. So we bank the airplane 30 degrees of bank. So as you'll buy a window, and especially people who don't like flying, you know, you, you bank it and all you can see is the ground through the window because you're only looking through a small porthole. And likewise, the people on the other side can only see the sky now, okay? But in level flight, okay, if you now look at the horizon in turbulence, all the, all the horizon is, is doing that. You never have this 30 degrees of, of banking sensation that you have when you're taking off or arriving into an airfield. So if you keep your eyes fixed on the, on the horizon during turbulence, you'll notice that you'll see the wings bouncing up and down, but you'll see the horizon just literally doing that. The horizon is not disappearing, you know? If you're at sea on a, on a ship, uh, which um, the way a ship rides the waves is completely different to, to an aeroplane, if that makes sense. It does. Okay, so if you can drop 50 to 100 feet, and not drop, but as in change altitude, <laughs> sorry, yeah. change my wording, uh, you can change altitude 50 to 100 feet and it's not a problem. What stops it just dropping further? 
the, the, that's how an aeroplane works. So it's the lift over the wings. So um, air is always around an aeroplane. So uh, if you consider air to be honey, honey is always sticking to, to the aeroplane for, for want of a better term. All the while there is air, there is always lift. So we don't even need the engines, of course, because gliders, you know, that's, that's how, you know, gliders work. Birds fly without, without an engine. There's always air providing lift over the wings. So when it gets to a certain point, what it's doing is it's always trying to find its, its sufficient lift and, and it will always regain it because the air is only temporarily disturbed over the wings. I hope that answers that. Mm, I think so. And, and just, just for the record, I prefer engines. You say we don't need them. I'm a bit of a I stickler. Do. I like an engine or two. Yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> let, let me ask the the the, the, the question that everybody asks and i think this is a really good one is there actually any danger to me as a human if i've got my seatbelt in an aircraft from any form of turbulence that nature can throw at me yes or <laughs> yes or no no thank you seatbelt on no why not why why am why why am i safe even if i don't feel safe because it's just uncomfortable. So if you didn't have your seatbelt signs on it, and they've all made the news, and I've also flown aeroplanes, and in the times that um, that I have encountered severe turbulence myself, um, I've unfortunately had a couple of cabin crew being hurt in that turbulence, is because unfortunately they were standing at the time. Yeah, you you will if you're not in your seat, you you will leave the floor of the uh, of the cabin, and uh, yeah, there's been some some nasty accidents over the years, sadly, when people, and that's why in really bad terms, we will actually ask cabinetry to just take a seat where they are. Sometimes it might even be on someone's lap, it might, or even on the floor. So that's why they, they really have to, to get their, their, um, the crew carts into the galleys and stowage and everything locked away. It's just because, like on a ship or in a car, if, if you didn't have it tied down, it would just, yeah. So it's, it's not, so it's, it's not. It's off the bouncy castle. <laughs> just, but yeah. the aeroplane, the aeroplane's not going anywhere. That, that will continue yeah. to fly. So, so I think yeah. that's why I, I think people like to get in their head that as long as I'm strapped in and then the aircraft can withstand it. It's not absolutely. a problem to the aircraft, even if I don't like it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why as pilots, we have, a, we have our, um, our lap belts loosely fastened all the time. That's simply the same reason. You, know, just, uh, you don't want to move from your, from your seat. Perhaps you could remind people of the cup of water tip. Oh, yes, yeah. Also, as well as looking out the horizon and seeing the horizon's not disappearing, so it's a really good thing. So if you have a drink, which most people like to on, a, on an aeroplane, so if you, you have the, the fluid in, in your cup, oh, there we go, I've got a glass of water there. So in turbulence, just hold the glass in front of you and you'll see the water just literally just, I'm making it move myself now. So, But it's not doing this like as if you were at sea, So that, and that it's not, you, you'll just see that, you're not banking. The aeroplane is not doing this violent manoeuvre that people actually feel that sensation in their stomach. That's actually what it's doing in this dropping of a term called air pocket that doesn't exist. So would you like me to talk about air pocket more? Talk about air pockets, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, so that's a, a really good trick. So air pockets. So one of the funniest things whenever I go uh, you know, out or if uh, you're invited to dinner parties or if you're in the pub and I, and I hear people talk about, oh, so you, you fly for a living. Oh, well. Let me tell you the worst flight ever. I was on holiday uh, a few years ago and we, we dropped in an air pocket 10,000 feet. 
that that can't happen. So this goes back to this sensation, and it's a medical uh, term because of the inner hairs uh, on your inner inner ear. It's giving this sensation of dropping. And the more that we do this porpoising, of course, and if it is one of those really prolonged, so that, and you feel all of a sudden you feel twice as heavy as well, you're like pressed into your seat, it will give you that sensation of dropping. And of course, if the porpoising lasts that long, of course, it just feels that you're, so the exaggeration is, you know, we went into an air pocket. So, like I say, air doesn't, doesn't uh, disappear. We, we, can't, we can't hide air. We can compress it, we can heat it up, we can cool it down. But we can't create holes. We can't create a vacuum unless, of course, you're in a laboratory. Okay, so the sensation of dropping is this phenomenon that was, however it came about years ago, it was called an air pocket. And they do not exist because if air suddenly wasn't there, there would be no, no air, would there? No lift on an aeroplane. Birds wouldn't be able to fly. Aeroplanes wouldn't be able to fly. And everything would just fall out of the sky. So unfortunately, it's, it's a, that's the polite version. It's nonsense. <laughs> yes, all right. Uh, so we'll fire some questions at you. Lightning. Is lightning a problem? No. So lightning, again, there's some amazing videos on, on YouTube. If you, again, you want to Google those. <laughs> on the back of, of the wings and the tailplane of an aeroplane, we have these things called static wicks, okay? And there's lots of them. There's about uh, 12 on each, each surface. Basically, so lightning is not dangerous because... Because we're able, so it's a bit like the birds jumping on the, the electric wires, because they're not connected to the ground, of course, so therefore they're not earth, so therefore uh, there's no current, because it's the current that kills you, not the volts. And an aeroplane is no different, so if a lightning bolt hits an aeroplane, what happens is the voltage goes through the aeroplane and it discharges back through these static wicks of, of um, the design of the aeroplane, which is... You know, obviously very clever. And uh, I've actually been on an aeroplane where a lightning bolt has come through the aeroplane. It's gone down through the cabin. You can actually see the bolt going through, which is, I mean, again, uh, before mobile phones and cameras, unfortunately. But you can actually put your hand up through it. So that's why lightning is not dangerous. But what people don't tell you is it's the noise that it makes. Now, that's the one that, that scares everyone. And it is just like an explosion. It's like a bomb going off. And as, as the lightning hits the aeroplane, it's just this huge bang goes off, and that's what gets everyone's hairs on the back of their neck. But the lightning itself to the aeroplane is not. And sometimes it can char the paint because, of course, lightning is obviously super hot. And sometimes you'll see aeroplanes have landed that the, the paint is, is charred, but it's not dangerous to the aeroplane. Yes, I've been in a, a couple of lightning strikes, and to be honest, I was underwhelmed. I was really <laughs> hoping it was going to be more dramatic, but it wasn't. What about snow? So, yeah, um, we have certain depths of snow that we're allowed to accept for takeoff and landing. And again, this is all done uh, in the testing aeroplanes. Again, YouTube is your friend. Go and Google the testing of aeroplanes before they ever get to anywhere close to having passengers on board. And it's years and years and years of testing. And thanks to those test pilots that do it for us. So there's certain depth. I won't go into it, but it depends if it's dry snow, wet snow, icy snow, etc., etc. But there's certain limits and depths that we can accept. And it's all to do with, obviously, the coefficient of um, friction and how much grip we have on the runway. That's basically it. And we have wonderful apps on all our computers now that we, um, we calculate all our speeds that we take. So every time we do a takeoff on an aeroplane, it all depends on 
at the speed that we lift off at depends on the weight of the airplane but then we take into all the other factors of the environment around it as well if we had contamination it's called that's the pilot speed contamination on the runway we also have to do all those calculations into our uh, into our pre-briefing and then uh, that's what determines uh, what speeds that we lift off the runway and the same for landing as well we'll know what weight we are for landing and then we'll know what the contaminants are on the on the runway because that's obviously the responsibility of the airfield and it's reported to us and we base all our calculations on them and just to reiterate if it's out of the limits of the certifi certification airplane we will not take off or land on that, that runway hope that answers that, that all sounds that sounds great it's all fine and dandy and and it's good i mean especially doing long haul i have done for the last 24 years and um, we're so used to going to um, parts of the world that have you know, in the UK, it rarely happens. We, we have mm. some, some bad winters, but um, I did that secondment in Germany, as you were talking about, uh, with Lufthansa, and for three months of the year, you, you know, you're flying out of snow. And I, I did a two-year secondment to um, Norwegian Airlines, and for six months of the year, out, you know, in northern Scandinavia, we were taking off in literally almost compacted ice nearly every day and landing. But it's as long as it's within limits of the certification of the aeroplane, it's, it's all fine. Yeah, and that's a useful phrase what happens if it all seems within the limits when you take off but then things change because i think we use the you use a phrase within limits so i guess that could be for most people won't really know what that necessarily means because it's a pilot term isn't it but i think so like you can take off within there's so much wind across the runway so yeah, much yeah, certain types of weather it's that type of thing i guess but what if what if yeah. it changed before we take off we we also still i mean so we will know exactly what the so every time we're cleared for takeoff and cleared to cleared to land the, the last thing the air traffic control says to us you know virgin one two three you're cleared to land the crop and the surface wind is and we will get the wind readout so instantly in your head you know exactly what the wind is so if it if that changed literally i mean we we can go around from 10 feet above the ground we, we can land and still still go around if it was outside limits we, we would not continue to land on, on that runway. And likewise, so get lining up for takeoff, we, we get, the last thing they would say is you're cleared for takeoff, the surface wind is X, and if that's outside our crossing limits, then we, we don't take off. Okay, yeah, that's good. So a follow-up question to that one. So other than takeoff or landing, it doesn't matter? No, absolutely not. There are no, um, once you're in the upper, like I say, when, uh, when even when we see storms, and we, we, we don't, do a 180 when we carry on, but we may navigate a path through it because everything is based on safety uh, in commercial flying. Okay, good answer. So let me give you the curveball question. You're strapped in, if it's during turbulence. Me or passenger? No, not, not, <laughs> not you. Well, you're obviously you, but this is from a passenger's perspective, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, But you really need the loo. Uh, yeah. Can you get up? If you do get up, Will the cabin crew go with you, or, is, or do you have to stay where you are, or are you on your own? How does it work? Two halves to that question. So the first half, if it's light turbulence, and sometimes coming back from New York, you know, a six-hour flight home, it's been rotten all the way home, really bumpy conditions, and people get off and say, that's the worst flight ever, I'm never flying with you again, and no, that's just Mother Nature. So, and sometimes it can be. So, yes, we'll keep the seatbelt sign on for that one, but we know, especially myself, no one can wait that long. So if it's, you know, that sort of light turbulence I was talking about, absolutely, 
we, we get asked all the time, the cabin crew will ring and say, is it okay if a passenger visits the loop? And we go, yeah, but they have to just be, be aware that if they're taking their seatbelts, yeah, you're, you're going outside and the protection of, of the airline, if you know what I mean. But absolutely, you can visit the toilet, yeah, and the cabin crew will, will take you to, to, to the loop.